We're wrapping up today this series that uh, we've been on for about five weeks. And so the series that we've kind of come up with is being authentic or bona fide. Uh, Use whatever words you want, but really, what is it to be a follower? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? People ask all the time, what is the will of God for my life? And what we've tried to do is to show you in just the simplest forms what you were called to do. We started off with a rich young ruler where he comes to Jesus and he has to make a choice. And he has to choose whether or not he will leave the things that he trusts in, leaves the things that he's depending on, and all of us begin there. When we, when we get saved, whether we were a drug addict, we're laying down something we were dependent on and we're trusting God now. Whether, whether we've uh, had lifestyles or whatever it was, or whether we were as the rich young ruler, his love was money, that was his security, and God said, I need you to lay that down and follow me. So God asks us in salvation, I want to save you from something that's destroying your life or that's causing you trouble. And so we have to make a choice. We know the rich young ruler did not. He walked away sorrowful because he had much possessions. We called him the man who had everything and nothing at all. And from that, we started to find out, well, what would have life been like? What would Jesus have been doing with this man? What would Jesus do with each one of us that makes the choice, whether I made the choice many years ago or you made the choice? First off, he told them, he said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. So when we begin, catch this phrase, and you can keep it in your mind or your notes, I will make you. I will make you. This is the phrase that, that when you're following Christ, Christ will consistently be telling you, I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you. Your whole life is Jesus making you a better fisherman. It's making you. And how does he do that? He teaches us how to use the baits that we have. When you first start fishing, you use just the basic thing. And we talked about the best bait and the most normal bait. I don't care how great a fisherman you are. I don't care how much gear you have or what you you think and all the plastic stuff you buy. Still, the very best bait there is in the world is stink bait. It's just natural. If you go down to the coast, they're going to use shrimp. They're going to use dead shrimp, live shrimp. It doesn't matter if they go to Walmart down on the coast. They're going to have a whole freezer full of cut-up squid. They're going to have chunk bait. They're going to have all this that you can use. Why? Because it's still the very best bait. And in our lives, our greatest bait is our testimony. It's being able to tell our story. Even though it has bad spots and it has a lot of stuff we wish we could leave out, It's what is attractive to those that we're talking to. So using our story to fish for men. We'll use other techniques and we'll use, as we talked about, God's position, man's condition, God's provision, man's walking you through, learning how to do better at speaking to people. But it always goes back to the main thing. The second thing that we learned was that he said, not only will I make you, but he said, you are. There's some things that just because when the moment you follow Christ, you become something you weren't before. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you are what? What did we learn last week? You are salt and you are 
It's not that you become, it's that you are salt. You are light. It's just who you are. If, if the moment you start following Jesus, you're going to stick out. You're going to shine. You're going to change the flavor, the, the taste. You're going to change the atmosphere. It's what you're born to do. So Jesus says, I will teach you, and then you are. Today, we've got to learn one more phrase to add to it, to, to totally finish. So when somebody says, Pastor Lot, how did you get to where you are? How did you become who you are? How did you grow? No, don't look at the being a pastor. Don't look at being uh, uh, having the church I have or anything. How did you become who you are? It happened because when I followed Christ, he said, Tim, from this moment on, I'm going to teach you how to catch people. And Tim, from this moment on, you're going to have to settle the fact in your life that you are salt and you are light. You cannot be the other. If you decide to try to mix who you are with the world, let me tell you what you're good for. People are just going to step on you. They're going to laugh when you turn your back. They're going to make fun of you. How many people do we know that has the two different lifestyles, the one they live for God and then the one they don't? And they try to invite people to church, a church they don't even go to hardly. It don't work. He said, you're good for nothing but to be trodden under the foot of men. And we talked about what they do with old salt that had lost its flavor, or salt that was no good. They threw it in the road to keep the grass from growing on the road. So guess what people did every day? They walked on it. It's good for nothing but to keep grass from growing on your road. Now today, our third part, we'll finish it up. Look at the person beside you and tell them, you will be. You are, Christ will make you, but then also, you will be. Well, what am I supposed to be? We're going to learn today that you are to be a witness. You are to be a testimony. You are and you will be for me a walking testimony of my goodness and my grace. Now I'm learning how to fish. I realize who I am. Now God puts me in situations and circumstances and says, now I'm going to let you be. I'm going to tell you, you will be in these situations something that you couldn't be without these situations. So I, I love stories, and, and growing up, one of the records that we played or always heard was Jerry Clower uh, jokes. So I, I, I'm a huge Jerry Clower joke. I, love, I, I don't love just sarcastic one-liners. I love the storied-type jokes. I love, and my, one of my favorites of all time is The Lying Dog. Anybody heard the lying dog? Well, I'm going to share it with you if you haven't. Some of y'all, anybody ever heard of Jerry Clower? Raise your hand. It, it got half the congregation, half of you haven't. So I'm, I think to share a joke. This isn't an original joke, but it's, it's one of my favorites of all time. And so Jerry Clower tells about it because he grew up in Yazoo, Mississippi. So he tells the stories of people in Yazoo, Mississippi that, that went through things and just, just tells the the stories. And so that's really what he does. He tells stories. And one of the stories goes like this. He said, there was a, a boy by the name of W.L. And W.L. was a very smart kid, very smart kid there in Yazoo City. And, and he made good grades. And he was one of the few that would had the opportunity to go to college. 
to go to Ole Miss. In fact, he had an opportunity to go to Ole Miss. And so, man, he was all excited. And this was really exciting for his father. His father's name was Crack. Crack Ledbetter. So W.L. Ledbetter was the son of Crack Ledbetter. Now, Crack Ledbetter was, was, was like most of my dad and others, a group of sharecroppers. If they had a, any education, third to sixth grade, and you could add and you could do, you're ready to get a job. If you could just do, if you could do any adding or figuring, well, Crack never got any. He was totally uneducated. He, he, was, he was unable to read, write. But as a young boy, Crack Ledbetter got on with the railroad, which was a pretty good job. And so he just saved his money through the years working for the railroad, and here he had his boy, W.L. And so W.L. now is growing up, and he's so excited. He's thinking, I'm finally going to have someone in my family. Now, his wife could read a little bit, just, just get by. But he said, I'm finally going to have somebody in my family who can read and write, somebody who's educated. Boy, he was so excited, and, and, and man, he, 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 he just got his boy ready. He said, son, whatever it takes, we're going to get you... And so they loaded up W.L. on the train. He drove the train as far as he could, took the bus, and got to Ole Miss. Now, W.L. was doing good in school. School wasn't his problem. The problem was is that he also loved all the extracurricular activities. Oh, he got fell in love with them foot-long hot dogs. He fell in love with them, with them, with them coffees for five cents. It, it, just stuff everywhere. You, stuff he had never seen before. I mean, I mean he had never heard of a snow cone. And all of a sudden, you could get ice that had flavor. He, he, was just, he was just overwhelmed. And so much so that he spent all the money that Crack Ledbetter had given him. He burned through the money. Boy, foot-long hot dogs were so good. And he was trying to figure out a way, how in the world can I get some more money? No, my dad's got some money. But how, I can't tell him I've been up here just living it up. So he wrote a letter. He knew his mom could read a little bit and wrote a letter. And in the letter it said, Mom, tell Dad that up here they got a professor. And I know what he loves more than anything else in the world is that dog, Rover. He loves Rover more than he loves me. I mean, Rover is his favorite. Rover, I mean, he, he would do anything for Rover. And them two have been together, hunted together, gone through, I mean, uh, ran into snakes together. I mean, they have done life together. We, we hear stories about him and Rover. Tell Dad that there's a professor up here that if he'll send Rover, send $100, he can teach Rover how to read. He can teach Rover how to read a paper. And then letter got back, and W.L.'s letter, and Crack read it, and he went, oh, my goodness. And as, as Jerry was like, oh. He said, he said, oh, I don't, I'll have a son that can read, and, and I'll have a dog that can read the paper. He said, that, I'm telling you, God has been good. So he got that $100, loaded that dog up on the train. They got the dog there, and... W.L. was taking care of the dog, spent through the hundred more dollars. He's like, man. Sent another letter. In this letter, he said, tell dad that that dog, I'm telling you, that dog did a wonderful job learning to read. That dog has learned to read so well that that professor told me for 200 more dollars, he'll teach him how to talk. So he can read the paper to dad. 
He was all excited. He put $200 in the mail, sent it off. When it got there, all of a sudden now, W.L. had graduated, got his degree. He'd done good. He was good in school. But now he'd done burnt through hundreds of dollars. And it was time to go home. And he's now in a big trouble. His dad done got him a suit. Standing there at Yazoo City right there in front of the train station. Had the band there. His son was coming home and Rover was coming home. And his dad had done told everybody in town, my son who's educated, got a degree, got a great job, and my dog is going to come and I'm going to show you how my dog can read the paper to y'all. I mean, he was so excited. He invited everybody. The train pulled in. Everybody got off but W.L. Finally, at the last boxcar, W.L. come walking off. The crack walked down to the end and they stopped, stopped the van. He said, son, what's, what's wrong? He said, dad, I hate to say it. He said, we, me and Rover were riding on the train. He said, he was sitting over there in the other seat. He said, reading the paper to me. He said, he was just sitting there reading the paper to me. And about that time, he said, Rover just lowered that paper. And he said, he looked over at me. He said, you know what? When I get home, I'm going to tell your mama what your daddy was doing with a maid when she wasn't around. He said, Dad. He said, it just broke me up so bad. He said, that old train going about 80 miles an hour down through there. He said, he said I, I, just, I just couldn't take it. I said, that dog was going to come and after you've been so good to him and done everything and he was going to treat you that way. He said, in a fit of rage, Dad, without even thinking, I grabbed that dog, threw him out the back of the train. He hit the train tracks two or three times, went different directions. He said, he was dead. He was dead, rolled down the hill. His dad looked at him and said, son, are you sure that dog died? He said, yeah, daddy, he died. He said, good. He said, son, there ain't nothing worse than a lying dog. <laughs> now, growing up in life, I learned a lot of values from just those stories. About telling the truth. About being a good witness. And so in life, that's what Christ has asked us to do. Go with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 12 and 1. And I want to show you, a lot of times we don't realize how many times this word or testimony or witness is used. In fact, do you understand that over 100 times in the Bible, the word witness or witnessing is used? That's how important it is. Over 45 times in the New Testament alone, it's used. Just in that short span, witnessing. Do you understand that over 75 times the word testimony is used? Testimony. To give your testimony. To be a witness. Hebrews 12 and 1 says this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, what he's done in chapter 11 as we study all the time, and we, we just love going to chapter 11 because that's the heroes of faith. I'll give you another definition for what that is. What that is is the book of witnesses. 
If you change it from the heroes of faith, because really when we, when we say it that way, it almost sounds like they're people that we can't be like. And they're people that we can't do as good as. Because, I mean, the Abraham was, I mean, he was Abraham. And then there's Joseph, and then there's Moses, and there's all these different people, and Noah. And, and I, mean, I mean, we can't be like them because they're heroes of faith. Let me tell you what they are. They were just witnesses. It's the book of witnesses because chapter 12 starts out by making this clear to us that this is who they were. And he goes on and says, time would fail to tell of all the others who died, who, who gave their life, who wouldn't go uh, suffer and, and change their testimony, wouldn't change what they believed, wouldn't change what they had stood for, and were willing to die for the fact that they were not going to change their testimony. And so chapter 12 begins, and he says, let me tell you something. When you start following Jesus, what you're doing is, is you are surrounded by your, your whole DNA, your heritage, all your history. My history doesn't go through DeWitt Lott. My history doesn't go through Jane Goodrum and became Jane Lott. Let me tell you what my history goes through. It goes through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It goes through Moses and it goes through David and it goes through all of those of that were witnesses of the past and all the prophets of the past. That's my lineage. That's my bloodline. Those are the people that I square my shoulders and I say, their witness was true and my witness is true too. Their witness was accurate, and my witness is accurate too. And so when I'm standing, I realize that that is who I belong to more than I belong to anything else in life. I realize that I'm surrounded by Abraham's and Isaac. I, I'm not one of those that when people read this, they try to translate, you know, grandma's looking over the portals. We're surrounded by... No. But what I'm telling you is, is that the wave of witnesses that came behind us, we are in that bloodline. You are the next generation of witnesses that testifies to what God has done and what God can do. Let me, let me go with me to Acts 1 and 4. Acts, begin at Acts 1 and 4. The word witness literally means this. One who shares first-hand knowledge of something by seeing it or hearing it. When you're a witness, when, when you're called to be a witness, it means you have first-hand knowledge of something that you have seen or heard. To testify or to give your testimony means it's a formal, written, or spoken statement as evidence or proof of something that happened. There is nothing more powerful than for you to be a witness or to give your testimony. Go to Acts 1 and 4. I'll show you what I'm talking about. And being assembled together with them... He commanded them not to part from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, he you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait until the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon him. This is what we're commanded to do. Why? Listen to what it says. Verse 6. Therefore, 
When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So Jesus says, this is what I want you focusing on. I want you focusing on the Holy Spirit who is fixing to take you to a place you haven't been, to a level you haven't been. This is what I want you focusing on. And what do the disciples immediately do? Is, not, is it not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority? If we would spend less time writing books on how the world's going to end and trying to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be and trying to figure out, then we would be a much more powerful ministry into the world. How many times since 1950s have we written books about how the world's going to end and how this president's the Antichrist and how this person's going to end it? And and sooner or later, somebody's going to luckily be right. They're not going to have any knowledge because Jesus said nobody's going to have knowledge of this. Nobody's going to know this. It's not any sort. The next book that somebody writes and they act like they they know it, I know the last one I think is the Harbinger or something that come out and somebody's given me books and said, you're going to read this, you need to read this, and I put it on the shelf with all the other ones I never read because I don't give a hoot about any of that kind of stuff. I don't care what Israel, I don't care if you spell it backwards and you figure out this and you figure out, Jesus told me, Tim, that has nothing to do with you. Quit spending your time doing it. I know I hurt a lot of feelings. I'm just telling you what he said. Your master said, that stuff isn't none of your business. That stuff is in the Father's hands, and however it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But here's what I want you to do. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He said, listen to me. If you translate that in, in, in uh, NIV or different, different translations, it will say it in, in this form. You will be. You will be, you will be witnesses for me. That is what you will be. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses. Those are two qualities that the only thing that matters to me in my life. So when somebody says, Pastor Lot, how did you get to where you are? Not church, not, but as a person. Understand, this is how it happened. First, I followed him because he was going to teach me to be what? Fishers of men, I've spent my life learning how to talk, how to enter a room, how to, how to be nice to people, how to be generous, how to think of others more than myself, all with a thought that has only one thought. How can I win this person to the Lord? Well, Brother Lot, I wouldn't let them talk to me. Well, you don't know what. I don't care about that. It's like when I go fishing. I buy a whole pack of worms. Why? Because I may have to fish in one area where there's logs and things, and I may lose four or five or six or seven, and I don't care about that. The only thing I care about is getting that fish out of that woods. The only thing I care about is finally bringing him to the boat. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how many times I break off. That's not part of the equation. What's part of the equation is catching fish. And Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to catch fish. While you're doing this, Tim, understand to the world, you're going to seem odd. You're going to be like light and salt. You're you're what I've put on the earth to be light and salt to the earth. So understand this. But here's what you shall be. You shall be a person that walks in power. You shall walk in power. And you shall be my witness wherever you go. Wow. That's the simplicity of the gospel. That is the simplicity of being saved, of following Jesus. It's not complicated. You shall 
be my witness. Now, think about this. From that moment on, the disciples, that's what they did. In fact, we a lot of times don't realize that when we begin to read about being a witness, how many times it's used in the Bible and how important it is. Go with me in your Bibles to John 3, verses 31 and 32. Do you understand that Jesus, all Jesus was, all Jesus was, was a witness. That's all he was. What got him killed was being a witness. What, what got him in trouble was being a witness. And here's what John says. He who comes from above is what? Above all. And he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has, say it out loud, seen and heard, he he testifies. And no one receives his... Why did Jesus get killed? Why did all of this have to happen? Because the moment heaven came down through Christ... What he brought was, was the reality of heaven. He brought what heaven thought and what heaven speaks and what heaven does and what heaven is. And when Jesus came down and when he healed on the Sabbath, he was showing them what heaven was. When Jesus preached, he was telling them who heaven was. When he said, listen, I've got to die, but I'm going to be raised from the dead. He was telling them the story of heaven. He was sharing the testimony that was founded way before the earth was ever founded when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decided in council that this is the way it will go, and this is how it will play out, and this is the way we will redeem man, and this is the way we will establish our kingdom on earth again. When they did that, this was simply the testimony that Jesus was sharing. He was sharing to the world what I already know because it came from heaven. So the Pharisees and others would argue with him and he would tell them, listen, you can't understand what I'm speaking because what I'm telling you came from here and since you haven't been there, you don't know it. We struggle with that every time he speaks. If he looks at you and says, follow me, what did he tell the rich young ruler? Follow me. Did he just end right there? Did he just say, follow me, sell all your stuff, go broke, live in poverty? No. He said, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and I promise you that the same amount you will receive as riches in heaven. Why? Because he's speaking from heaven, not from earth. From earth, I'm giving my stuff away. From heaven, you're making an investment. That's why most people don't like investing. Because somebody will look at you and say, listen, I need you to give me $50 a month out of your check. And you're like, oh, man, you don't realize all the stuff I got. Man, stuff I have to spend money on. I mean, I like to do things. Like, I need you to give me $50 and let me show you on here, that if you just average 8%, it may go up, it may go down, don't look at it every day, just think that it may fluctuate, but over the average, it's going to be about 8 to 11%. And over 20 years, if you'll just do what I'm telling you, here's where you'll be. How many people say, no, I, man, I ain't doing that, I ain't doing that, I'm, not, I'm giving my money away, I'm going to lose it all. 
Why? Because he's speaking from a future. He's speaking from, and you're listening from earth. How many people you know reach 60 and say, boy, I should have invested. Man, I should have bought some of that stock in Walmart back in 1952. Well, why didn't you? You had money? Because you were investing it in something earthly and you burned it up instead of something futuristically that would pay dividends. And so Jesus, when He comes to the earth, understand all Jesus was was a testimony of heaven. He was a witness of what heaven is saying. He tells people, I can only do what I see the Father do. I speak not my own words, not my own stuff, but I speak what the Father tells me to say. All through His ministry, He says the same thing. Jesus was the perfect witness. That's what He was. The perfect witness. Go with me in your Bibles to John 3. John, the third chapter, verse 31, 32. Go with me to Luke 2, verses 20. Luke 2, verse 20. Listen to what it says. The shepherds, the shepherds were witnesses. This is what it says. Then the shepherds returned, this is when Jesus was born, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had. All they were were witnesses. We, do, we, we celebrate every Christmas, all the shepherds, all the shepherds. What did they do? What great thing did they do? All they did was tell people, this is what we saw, and this is what we heard. Some people said, y'all drunk. Believe what you want. Some people said, you had a hallucination. Believe what you want. Some people said, we believe you. Believe what you want. I'm not here to try to convince you or not convince you. All I can do is tell you the truth. I tell you what we saw and what we heard as it was told to them. As it was shared with us, this is exactly what we shared. Now, understand how powerful a witness is. If, If, let's say, let's say I go to Walmart. I worked in the grocery business, so this kind of stuff I have to, had to do for years, working in produce and stuff. We, we would have all these different meetings about a, a, a $10,000 grape. You ever seen a $10,000 grape? They make them. All you have to do is take a grape and roll it on the floor and let somebody slip on it. That's a $10,000 grape that you're holding in your hand. Oh, we had all these different meetings. We have video cameras all set up in the stores to make sure that nobody was... You, you had to put wet floor signs out. You didn't put a wet floor sign where there was wet and somebody fell. So I worked in that business, so you had people all the time, traffic going through. Well, we had accident reports that we had to fill out. So if somebody fell on one of them grapes and somebody slipped and... and, and uh, oh, 
and they're sitting there. We get them a chair, and they're sitting there, and, and they may have honestly hurt themselves. We're not, I'm not saying they made it up. They may have honestly, it may be a 60-year-old lady that was walking along and slipped on it and, 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 and hit her hip or hit her back. We had to put her in a chair, and, and what we have to do is we have to say, well, tell me what happened, and we got to get her account. And then you know what I do? What we do? We look around. And say, was there anyone Close, was anyone around here that saw what happened? I need your statement. I need, we may have to have your, your witness. We need your testimony. We need you to tell us what happened, what you saw. And I would have to fill out a report. This is what I saw. This is what happened. The person before had reached on the grapes and, 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 and had eaten three of them and dropped the bag, and when they did, about three or four of the grapes fell on the floor. If you, if you say, hey, did anybody see what happened? And somebody comes up and says, well, now here's what I heard happen. Can you use that evidence? If, if, if you say, well, I was around the corner, I heard it, I, I, I heard somebody, I didn't see anything, but I, I heard, I know she hit the ground. Can you use that evidence? No, it's, it's you know, so-and-so was over here and told me that they were on that aisle, and that's what happened. Can you use that? If you're in a court of law, and somebody's on the witness stand, and, and the, the lawyer asks them, Tell me what you saw. Well, I didn't see anything really, but I heard and I read in the paper two days later that this is what happened and I believe it. What do they call that in court? Hearsay. That's hearsay. Let me tell you what's wrong with most Christians today. You can tell me a lot about what C.S. Lewis said. You can tell me about what John Wesley did. You can tell me an awful lot about D.L. Moody, and, and, and if you listen to a lot of preachers, they'll do a lot of quotes from other people that died in the 1800s. And they'll tell you a lot of people, oh, I know, I know this person did this, and man, I heard a story about this missionary, and I heard this. And let me tell you what all that is to the world. Hearsay. It's inadmissible evidence in the court of law. You can't, you can't bring that into the court of law. The only thing that I need from you is eyewitness evidence. I need what you saw and what you heard and what took place in your life, and that's the only thing that will cause me to change. So when I preach to you all the time, why in the world do you think I use my own messed up life stories? And why do you think it's so hard for you to use yours? Let me tell you why. Is because you would rather use hearsay and use someone else's life than to use the one life that the enemy knows is the only life that has any power. I don't want to hear some preacher get up and tell me about C.S. Lewis. I want to know how God messed you, got you all from messed up and got you saved and where you were at when God. I don't care about your suit. I don't care about your polyester britches. I don't care about your preacher hairdo. I don't care about any of it. I want you to stand up and say, here's where I was and this is what God did. I chose me to be a fisherman. He made me a light. He made me salt. And let me tell you my testimony. Man, have I got a testimony. You're of no value. 
until you're ready to share your testimony. Jesus came from heaven and shared his The shepherds shared their, Brother Lot, you know, let's go to Acts 4. Acts 4 and 20. The disciples, even after Jesus had gone, they're, they, they're fishermen. They've got power. They're light and salt. They're go, Peter and John go to the temple. A man gets healed. It causes an uproar. The Pharisees call them in. They beat them. Tell them, we don't want you to speak no more. Stop speaking about that stuff. Stop speaking about the name of Jesus. Stop speaking. And I love their response. They didn't say, well, we'll, we'll quit preaching. We, we'll quit singing. This is their response. You choose who you, what you need to do. You choose whether it's right or wrong. But we cannot help but speak the things that we heard about other people. No, no. I cannot help but speak the things which we have seen. The only thing I can tell you is what I know personally that happened. Don't ask me where dinosaurs came from. I don't know. Don't ask me how long they lived. I don't know. Let other people try to figure out stuff that figured out whether it's a billion or 6,000 or this thousand or that thousand. Let them come up with all of that. The only thing I know is I'm an eyewitness to what happened in my life. Now, as you get better, you'll be able to study and you'll be able to, to share more information about dinosaurs and all the different things and all the carbon dating and all that kind of stuff. You can get better at all that, but listen to me. Your main mission in life is not to stand there and try to figure out is Satan a bad guy or a good guy. You're your job is not to figure out whether the earth is this old or that old. Your job is not to figure out all the scientific things. You don't have to be a scientist to be a shepherd. You don't have to be a scientist to do anything to be a witness. A witness just simply has to tell what they saw and what they heard and what happened to them and what took place. And that's all you got to do and leave it right there. If it ain't enough, then dust your feet and move on. But all you got is what happened to you. That's all you got. Go with me in your Bibles to Acts 9 and 22, the greatest disciple that there was, the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says. But Paul, but Saul increased the more and more strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus was the Christ. Ananias, go to, go to scriptures before that. Go to, there you go. Go a couple of scriptures before that. I want to get to Ananias. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you in the road as you come, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight once it rose from the baptized. So when he had received his strength, Saul Spent some days a disciple. Got to go back before that. Go back even further. I want to hit this. I just want to hit this so much. When Ananias first enters.
a little bit before. So he trembling said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the man who journeyed with him uh, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and when he had opened, uh, saw no one, but he led him to drought him. And when he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. And he said, Arise, go and go into a street called Straight, and inquire the house of Judas, of one called Saul of Taurus. Behold, he is a praying. In a vision he has seen my, the name come, Ananias coming, Put your hands so that he might receive your sight. And he said, Lord, I have heard of many of this man, how much harm he has done to saints and, uh, in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the priest to bind all who have his name. But the Lord said, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, my name before the Gentiles uh, and the children of Israel. For I will show him things he must suffer in my name's sake. And Ananias entered the house, laying his hands on him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, came and sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately the scales fell from his eyes and received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, his strength, Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God." The story of Ananias, if I had time, I'm just, oh, I don't have time. But the story of Ananias is the understanding that you have got to be a witness, a witness that you will be an eyewitness to the things that have happened to you. He will be my what? Witness. The Apostle Paul, Saul, go pray for him, Ananias. Why? Because he is called to be a witness to the Gentiles. He is called to be a witness. That's what Paul was. That's what Paul was. Go with me to 1 John. The Apostle John rewrites this. Now in John, we read in John 1 that we saw the light. Beheld. Remember we dealt with that, light and salt. John, the first chapter. But let's go to 1 John, the first chapter. And listen, he's having to deal with Gnostics or that are starting to try to come into church. And, and, and Gnostics are trying to change theology and trying to say, oh, well, Jesus really wasn't in the flesh. He, he was really a spirit and he really wasn't a man. He was, all these Gnostics are coming in. And here's what John starts off by saying to this church. That which was from the beginning, which we have what? Heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, that was manifested in us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Someone says, well, Brother Lot." You haven't personally seen Jesus. Oh, but I have. But I have. In my spirit, I have saw him and I have heard him. And it's more real than anything I've ever felt in my flesh. I don't know what salvation was on the day you got saved. Or when you finally 
receive it. But what it's supposed to be is a moment where your spirit comes alive because someone that only can speak to your spirit has spoken to you and has made you alive where you once were dead. There is no going back. I could spend the rest of my life fighting against it. But what I know in my spirit will always haunt me. Even if I try to deny it, it will always haunt me. Because I know truth. And John says, listen, what we saw and what we heard was truth. And we shared that truth. And the fellowship now that you have with us is not just through us. It's through the relationship now that you have with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We are family. Even though some of us walked with Him and did this and you didn't see Him, but yet you have. You have the same fellowship with us. Isn't it amazing? We can be together in a room and somebody can say, boy, the Lord spoke to me the other day. What did God say to you? We can have fellowship. Why? Because he talks and speaks and reveals himself to each of us. And yet we're all in the same family. And we don't get mad. He didn't talk to me. Man, I was praying the other day and God just revealed. I was reading my scriptures the other day and God just showed me this. Pastor, you ever read it this way and saw this? I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Man, I'm t- just to have God just open your eyes and see something. You, do you realize that you have fellowship with Christ? You have in your spirit a reality that he is real. You have a testimony. Every person in this room that's five minutes past being saved has a testimony of what you were, Compared to what you are. From what you were to what you are. That's why people, when they first get saved, they want to win everybody. They want to win everybody. Well, I want everybody. I want my sister saved. I want my cousin saved. I want my mama saved. I want this saved. I want everybody saved. Everybody needs to be saved. Why? Because you're alive. And what you have, you may not have all the education, you may not have all the points and all the things all right, but one thing you've got is your testimony. And it's powerful. And there's certain people that'll hear it, and there's certain people that you can get them saved. You don't even know how to, man, I don't even know half of these scriptures. I don't know where, I don't know where to find it. I don't know where, but man, I'm telling you the truth. This is what God's done. Man, I want that to happen to me. Let's pray. All I can do is do what I did. Go with me in your Bibles to Revelations 12 and 11. I could bring up multiple more scriptures. But I hope you get the point that what you are, you are a witness. You shall be a witness wherever you go. That's that's what you are. And a witness has to speak. And a witness has to tell what they saw and what they heard. Here's what Revelations 12 and 11 says. Just for some of you that says, Pastor, I struggle in my life. I've struggled with... You know, being the Christian I want to be, I struggle. Let me just make it easy for you. I can fix your problem in three seconds. I can fix your problem in three seconds. Quick as I can read this scripture. Here's what it says. And they overcame him by the... I'm going to ask you one question. Are you saved? I ain't saying are you forgiven. I ain't say have you repented. I said are you saved? That means he took you from what you used to be to where you are supposed to be. That you laid down whatever it is that you know isn't making your life right and you surrendered it. And you said, God, 
The disciples left all to follow Jesus. The, the, we go through this in time, and it doesn't matter if it's Zacchaeus, and you hear Zacchaeus' story, and, and, and I love Zacchaeus' story because it's so beautiful where you know, we get, oh, Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Well, part I like about it is he's sitting at his kitchen table. That's the part of Zacchaeus' story I like. He's sitting at his kitchen table, and he spends a little time with Jesus, and Jesus talks to him a little bit, and Jesus speaks to him a little bit, and preaches to him a little bit. And you know what happens? Zacchaeus jumps up from his table, and he says, Lord, today if I have cheated anybody, I'll pay them four times what I've stolen. Lord, if there's anybody, I'm going to give this amount to the poor. I'm, today I'm going to do it. You know what Jesus said? Man, you're doing good. Now, you me tell you what Jesus said? Today, salvation has entered into your house. So what I want to know, if you ever got saved? Anybody in here ever got saved? If you did, I, you can tell me what you had to lay down. You can tell me what you had to walk away from. You can tell me the friends you had to say, hmm, delete, delete, delete. You, you can tell me, because I guarantee you, it costs you something. People say, oh, salvation is free. It is free. You, you can't earn nothing. But being a disciple choosing Christ means that you surrendered what you were messed up in so that he could give you a life that ain't messed up. Most of the world just wants to be forgiven. I don't want to change nothing. I can keep cheating. I can keep stealing. I can keep lying. I can keep doing and just know I'm forgiven. You wonder why their life and their kids and their generations keep getting messed up. I'll tell you why, because you ain't saved. You ever get saved, it'll change your life. You ever get saved, fishing will become your main thought. If you ever get saved, whatever room you walk into, you're going to be light. You're going to be something on TV, and when it's playing, you're going to walk in like light, and they're going to change the channel. You ain't got to ask them to. You ain't got to ask them to. Because you light, you salt. And you will be a witness. You're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. I can fix your problem in three seconds. Make sure you're saved. Whatever it is you keep holding on to and don't want Pastor Lot to find out about and don't want your wife to find out about your husband to find out about your boss to find out about, kill it. Kill it. Brother Lot, I can't. I know. That's why you have to come to an altar and you have to surrender it to God because he's the only one strong enough to kill it for you. It's called being saved. He's the only one who can save you. Kill it. And then when you get up, start telling everybody about what God killed. I share all my junk with y'all. Y'all don't seem to, it don't seem to bother none of y'all. All my past and addictions and mess ups and each week stuff happens. Everybody tells me everything same time. They say, be careful what happens around you and Pastor Lot. He'll be using it in a sermon. Well, what else I got? It's called my testimony. You just happen to be part of my testimony. If you hang out with me, let me tell you something. You're going to be part of my testimony. Hey, me and so-and-so was somewhere. Hey, me and so-and-so had went out to eat. Hey, this And you know what happened while we were there? Bam. We got a testimony. We met a waitress. We met this. Something happened. Three legs to this, the Scripture. Three legs to it. Think of it like a chair with three legs. The first leg is salvation. And they overcame him by the 
If I'm going to sit firmly in where I am in Christ, the first thing is that leg has to be strong. I know that I'm saved. I know that. No doubt in my mind. A lot of you make mistakes. I know that. I, I fumble and I have to say, Lord, forgive me. I, I understand. I'm in a relationship. And so in that relationship, he understands I'm not the strong part of the relationship. That he's never going to mess up. I'm probably going to from time to time. But he expects me to say, all right, don't stay there. Don't let that leg grow short. Keep your salvation. Stay saved. The second part of that leg is that by the blood and the word of your testimony, your testimony then is I'm sharing what God is doing, what God has done. I don't have to lie. I don't have to make up. I don't have to talk about what happened in 1832. I, don't, I just share people, this is what happened to me. That's all I can tell you. And let me tell you about your testimony. Testimony is just telling the truth. If you say, well, here's where I'm at. It ain't quite finished yet, but I believe God. Then that's your testimony. Whatever your testimony is, that's your testimony. The things he has done, be thankful. Be bragging. Brag on him. The things he hasn't done, just speak in faith and say, I believe he's still working on me. I still believe he's going to fix this. I still... Let me tell you the other thing about sharing your testimony. You don't argue. Nobody can argue with my testimony. We can argue about dinosaurs. We can argue about politics. And that's mostly what church people do now. Most church people, they get together. They're going to talk about who's the president. They're going to talk about what's going on. You've watched this on news. You see this happen. You saw that happen. Let me tell you what they don't do 90% of the time. They don't share their testimony. I'm looking for Christians that just walk around and say, look, I don't know nothing about none of that junk. Ain't nobody called me yesterday, and I, don't, I wouldn't know where they live. I don't know nothing about them. But I can tell you what I do know. If it's any value to you, I can tell you what I do know. That's your testimony. You don't have to argue. Just share what you know. The third part of that leg is not your salvation, not your strength, which is your testimony. It is your security. This is what it says. And they did not love their lives to the... If you're going to be salt and light and you're going to be a witness and you're going to... Because you're all going to go to Thanksgiving and see some unsaved people and you're going to go to Christmas and see unsaved people and you're going to hang around some of your family and people and you're going to go all the... Let me tell you something. Over these next couple of months, that's how sneaky I am. You think I didn't preach this for a reason? I knew what was coming. The holidays. Seeing people you ain't seen. Being locked up in houses of people you don't even like. Well, you get a choice. You get to be a thermostat or a thermometer. I'm a thermostat. I get to adjust the temperature in the room. A thermometer just sits there and says, it's cold. Duh, Sherlock. You going to do anything about it? No, I just don't want to be here. Don't be a thermostat, a thermometer. Be a thermostat. So that third part is security. If your salvation, if your strength, if your security is good, then you can be what God calls you. And I'm going to share this real simple and I'm through. We try to find ways to make it easy for you to, to witness. I'm, I'm going to show you the easiest way to do it. I had, the last week I had salt. They took my salt. Took my table, took my salt, took my light. I got no light, no salt. 
So last week I had a salt shaker. And on that salt shaker, if you're going to see salt, right? Every table you go to, every place you go to eat, in packets and everything. Here's what I want you to do every time you see a salt shaker. I want you to think that is salt. That's my witness. How? S. Start. Start talking. Talk about fishing. Talk about something you like doing. Talk about hunting. Just start. Well, I need to tell them about Jesus. Yeah, that's not a good place to start. Every now and then, God will open that kind of door, and somebody will be sitting there crying, and you're like, would you like to know Jesus, please? Man, that's great. Boy, that's, that's the one I like, God. But normally, it's just start. S, start. S, start talking. Go, whatever you call it, start. Start talking. Be friendly. A, Ask. Ask questions. Notice so far, I ain't doing a whole lot of talking. Hey, what you do for a living? Hey, tell me about your... Hey, if you just listen long enough, you just ask questions, which goes us to number three. L, start, ask, listen. Just listen. Listen to what they say. Listen, listen to their story. Listen to what's broken. Listen to, you don't take people. People love to talk. People stay up middle of the night checking Facebook. They love it. They won't sleep. Because they want to know what somebody's saying, somebody's doing, what somebody's eating. People love it. They love interaction. If I had that gift, I would be dangerous. I have to make myself do it. But just start talking. Ask questions. Listen. T. Testimony. Find a way to use your testimony in their story to point them to Jesus. That's what you watch me do every Sunday. I use the testimonies in my life and the scriptures that he's given to point you closer to Jesus. I get in trouble for it from my wife, my kids, my friends, my... I wish you wouldn't use me in a testimony. Well, you stay away from me. Or don't do nothing dumb around me. You do something dumb around me, that's a good one. That one, oh. And you just know it's like, Pastor, are going to use that one sooner or later. That was good. Let me tell you all what happened one time. Now, I'm not going to share your intimate stuff. I'm not, stuff that, that you share with me about over 20-something years, I don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. But the little things that happen in life that are our testimonies, that's what God's given you. And that's what you ought to be sharing. When you come in on Sunday, guys, let me tell you what happened this week. Oh, only God. And share your testimony. When you bump into somebody... Man, y'all won't believe what took place in my life. And end it with only God. Only God could have worked that out. I don't even believe in God. Well, you have to be dumb. Look at what happened. You'd have to be an idiot not to believe in God after that happened to me. I mean, you can't look at Camp Cypress and believe there ain't a God. You can't look at all the stuff we do and believe there ain't a God. And how do they know? Because I share my testimony. You're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. The word of your testimony. 
And you don't care even if it costs you your life to share it. Because you realize it's the most powerful thing you have. For a lot, you can get in trouble. It's okay. It's part of the job. People aren't going to like you. That's okay. All I can tell them is my testimony. Jesus got killed for it. Paul got killed for it. Peter got killed for it. All the prophets got killed for it. So I have a feeling I'm kind of like in a flow here. Whether it's by word or deed, I feel a feeling I got to pay for it somehow when I share my testimony. And you will too. But that's okay. Because to watch one person come out of their world and to watch one person get saved, it'll be worth whatever price you have to pay. To watch one of your kinfolks that you've watched suffer finally get it, it'll be worth it. To watch one of your kids come walking home or give you a call one day and say, hey, I, I just want you to know I got saved. Believe me. It'll be worth all the discomfort that you have to endure. Will you stand? I got one more Jerry Clark. No, no, I'm sharing no more Jerry Clark. <laughs> Thank you all for letting me share this series. And I'm going to be in and out over the next month, as you will, and everybody does as we travel. And I've got to go see my son, and I've got to, to, to go spend some time with my dad. And my dad is, is not, we're trying to create these moments where we spend with my dad. And so, uh, so I hope that you have the greatest Thanksgiving Christmas you've ever had. And I'll tell you how you'll have it. It's become a testimony. Don't worry about fixing people. Don't worry about trying to win people. Don't worry about... Just as Peter and John said, we can't help but tell you the things we've seen and heard. That's all. You do that. You put the devil on the run. We overcome him. Overpower him. By our salvation... By just the stories we tell of how good God is and by not fearing what somebody else will say if we do it. And I hope over these holidays you do that. I hope that you are salt and light. That you're a fisherman. And that the world gets changed one person at a time by you. Will you let me pray with you? Father, today... Every one of these people have to go back into their world. They have to go back among their people. They have to go back in places sometimes it seems very dark, but that's okay. We're not trying to escape the darkness. We're trying to bring light to it. And I pray over every person, every table they sit at, every conversation they have, I hope they look down and there's a salt shaker right there. And I hope it hits them when they look at it that, you know what? Just start speaking. Start talking to everybody. And just ask some questions. Hey, what you doing? Hey, what's been going on in your life? Just get them talking. And then let us spend the time listening like you listen. Listening so that we see the opportunity, so that we see how our testimony might impact them. And God, at the right time, when we get a chance, we can just say, hey, let me tell you something that happened to me. Let me tell you something that God did for me. Let that be 
the most powerful thing we have. Father, I declare that souls will be saved, that people will get to pray for relatives. They'll get to pray for kids. They'll get to pray for loved ones or friends. God, I speak that in the name of Jesus, doors will be open. Walls will come down over these next two months. That over this opportunity we have, we will be soul winners. We will lead people to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.